0: To please see him. How many of you know the name uh, Garrison Keeler? You're showing your age. Uh, He, of course, was the host of the Prairie Home Companion. And he tells about a man at Lake Wobegon who repented and got saved 12 times at the altar of a Lutheran church that never even did altar calls. He would just go forward. And sob. And the first time, the Lutheran pastor put his arm around this sobbing guy and didn't know what to do and said, Did you bring a dish to pass today? Uh, he'd come to the altar time after time, weeping buckets and buckets of tears, and come back the next Sunday and do the same thing. Larry Sorensen was his name. And he kept repenting and repenting, but somehow he never seemed to get beyond the repenting stage. Pretty soon, even the fundamentalists in Lake Wobegon were tired of him, sick of his repenting. Larry could not believe that Jesus could actually forgive him. He could never move on. Today, uh, in the scripture, I want to look at a person who was struggling just as much as Larry Sorensen was. He had a hard time believing that Jesus could actually forgive him because of all that he had done. You all know him. Uh, He was a person uh, who had regularly a problem with saying things that he shouldn't say. He had what we call foot-and-mouth disease. Uh, He was doing things hastily, without thought, you know, like, like stepping out of a boat onto the water or taking a sword and cutting off a guy's ear. He was constantly acting without thinking and speaking and leaving his brain behind. He had done a lot of things that he regretted, but none of them as much as that one thing. He did something that was so bad, so evil, that he didn't know if he could ever forgive himself, let alone Jesus. He thought because of what he had done, he was disqualified from ever being in the presence of God. I'm wondering, have you ever felt that way about your own struggles? Have you ever felt like because of the things that you have done wrong, you are disqualified from serving God? Or maybe even disqualified by from being close to God like other people around you seem to be. It's like maybe the reason they're closer to God than you are is because they never did the bad things you did. So that your bad stuff leaves you feeling unworthy and unqualified. Maybe for you it was a grievous sin that you've never been able to get over. Every night when you lay in your bed at night, all you can think about is that stupid thing you did or maybe for you it's like Thomas last week maybe your doubtings and your questions has left you feeling like you're on the outside while everybody else is on the inside you know you know what it's like when somebody you're in a group and they have an in joke and you don't get it because you're not in well it's possible that even in our Christian faith, we can feel like there are some people who are in and some people who are not quite so in. Maybe they're even out. And maybe you feel that way today. Or maybe it wasn't your fault at all. Maybe you have just been a victim, a victim of your culture, or maybe a victim of other people's activities. And it doesn't matter how many times you shower you constantly feel unclean and ashamed. You feel dirty inside. You never feel quite connected to God. And you wonder, did he see what happened to me and he's as disgusted with me as I am? That's how Peter felt after he had denied the Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. If you have your Bibles, could you open up to John 21? We're not going to have a lot of Scriptures today. In fact, when I walked in, Nicole said to me, all I got were your three verses. And I said, yep, that's right. John 21. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screens in front of you. You could follow along. Verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples. Now this is post-death and resurrection. So he's already appeared to them in the upper room. It says, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. It's kind of weird wording, I think. I think you could have done it much smoother. Basically saying, Jesus showed himself, and I'm going to now tell you how he showed himself. So just kind of follow along. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two of the other disciples. So that's two, four, five, six, seven. That's seven of the disciples. They were gathered together, and Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. What else is there left for me to do? It's all I know how to do in life is work. I can do work. My wife doesn't like me today. She's never happy with anything I do, but I can go to work because at least they seem okay with what I do. I don't think God cares all that much about me, so I guess I'll just go back fishing because honestly, I failed God so much there's no way He could ever use me again. I'll just go back to fishing. He's struggling with questions about Where do I go from here? Where do you go when you failed so badly you don't know if you can ever recover? When you've done something so evil that you don't know if there's any salvation for that. What do I do now? I blame myself over and over again. I don't know, but I suspect that Peter had a recording in his head. And every single night when he laid his head on his pillow, and probably honestly all throughout the day, he played that recording of his denials over and over again. Aren't you one of those disciples? No, no, I'm not. Wait a minute. Aren't you one of those disciples? I can tell by your dialect, by your accent. No, I told you I'm not. And then the coup de grace... The guy's relative, whose ear he cut off, comes and says, wait a minute, didn't I see you in the garden? Didn't you cut off my cousin's ear? And the scripture says he swore. He swore at him and said no. And that recording played over and over and over again, chewing the mental cud, regurgitating. So much so that every time it came to mind, Peter felt sick to his stomach. He felt like throwing up. He couldn't forgive himself, honestly, because he wasn't so sure that God could even forgive him. It seemed like it was too much to ask of God. It was an impossibility. It reminds me of a story that I read uh, this week about a man who was trying to cross the street. You heard the story about the chicken who tried to cross the road? This was a man who tried to cross the road. And um, he got partway out in the street, and this car came around the curve and was aiming straight at him. So he hurried faster, trying to get across the street. And to his shock, the car swerved and was still going at him. So he stopped and tried to run back, and the car swerved lanes again and was going straight at him. Finally, in fear, he froze in the middle of the road, didn't know what to do, thought it was the end. The car's coming straight at him at the last second it hits its brake and swerves around him and stops. The window rolls down, and the driver looks at the man. The driver's a squirrel and says, it's not as easy as it looks, is it? I'll let you get it. But let me ask you, hasn't that been your experience? That life hasn't been as easy as you thought it was going to be? You get, how many of you got saved and thought everything would be just peaches and cream from now on? Everything would be a cruise ship that would be wonderful. Endless meals for free. You know, that's why everybody takes a cruise. It's for the food. And entertainment. And then we wake up the next morning, if you got that far, and you find out, no, life is not that easy. Maybe for you, like for me, maybe this isn't all of you, but I I do think this is for somebody. I know it's for me. You have done enough stuff in your life that has been hard, that has been wrong, that like Peter, you wonder, can you ever get beyond it? Can you ever be forgiven? And can you ever forgive yourself? So what I want to talk to you about very briefly, this will be one of our shorter messages, I want to talk to you about getting past your past. We sang the song, which every time I sing the song, it's hard for me. My past embraced. But then those words that follow a couple lines down, my history rewritten? Really? So, how do we get past our past? Number one, this, these are just points I've taken from the story. I'm not going to read the whole story to you. You guys know it well, I'm sure. If not, go home and read John 21 and get it together. You should have already read it. Number one, Jesus took the initiative with Peter. Peter, ever the leader, whether he wanted to be or not, you know, there are just some people that, you know, their presence changes the dynamics of a room. They come in, they've got the room. They go do something, people follow them. It's like they've got a Pied Piper kind of anointing. That was Peter. Peter wasn't trying to be the leader. Peter was just being Peter. But Peter says to his buddies who were still there, six others of them, says, I'm going fishing. And they said, well, if you're going fishing, we're going fishing. Because we're following you. He said, don't follow me. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm one of the disqualified. They said, we don't care. We're following you anyway. So they go out. They're fishing. And the scripture says they fished all night and they caught nothing. Let me ask you, does that ring a bell for you? Is it? Is Is there another Bible story that sounds even remotely similar? Like maybe back in Luke chapter 5 when the same thing happened? That was at the beginning of his ministry. This is at the end. Here they fished all night, they caught nothing. Jesus comes along and he sees them and he calls out to them and he says, Hey, Bill, did you catch anything? Now, Bill's a fisherman. What do you know about fishermen? They lie. You know, I caught a fish. I was out on Silver Lake, and I caught a fish this big. You know. And I got pictures to prove it. He's a smart fisherman. But what fisherman wants to admit they've been skunked? Somebody comes along and says, how are they biting? Oh, it's wonderful. I've been here all day long. I ain't caught nothing, but it's wonderful fishing. Nobody likes to admit they got skunked, but I think the disciples were wet, cold, tired. They'd been up all night fishing. And for whatever reason, I don't, I don't honestly get it. They admitted the truth. We got nothing. And Jesus says, Can I make a suggestion? Now, let me ask you, have you ever been in the middle of a project? Maybe like you're fixing your car, and you've been out there, it's hot, you're sweaty, nothing is going right, you have racked your knuckles so many times you can't feel them anymore, there's blood all over the place. You're just trying to get the stupid oil filter loose. You've had to drill holes through the thing and crank on it. You tried every, or maybe it's not your car. Maybe you're not that kind of. Maybe you're trying to put a crib together, you know, the one that came with instructions that are thicker than the Bible. Why don't they use one tool for this stupid thing? You're trying, or maybe you're making dinner. And you know you got up early that morning with every intent to bless your family. You were going to make special pancakes for them that they love and French toast and crisp bacon that doesn't bend, that only breaks. You had it all planned that night before. You had it all planned. And you get downstairs and you've got no eggs, you've got no flour, and you decide you're going to run to the store. You're hustling around. By the time you get back, it's noon and they've already gone. Nothing is going right. And along comes somebody with a suggestion. You know, you're under the car. Your sweat is dripping off your face, and nothing is working right, and your wife comes out, and she smiles down at you through the engine. How you doing, honey? Wonderful. What's wrong? I can't get this stupid thing off. Well, do you think it might be that doohickey right there? How do you feel at that moment? Isn't there something you that wants to say? No, I won't even say what you want to say. Because <laughs> we're in polite company. But you're not interested in suggestions. I want this thing to work. Jesus comes along and he says, I love his suggestion, by the way. Think about it. Cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Now let me ask you, they've been fishing all night long do you think they'd never thrown their net on the right-hand side before? Or maybe they're not. Maybe they're left-handed, and they only throw to the left side. But do you think the boat in the current had never swung around ever? All night long? They'd fished the whole lake, but they missed that one little geographic spot of about you know 100 square feet. That's it. They've missed that. He comes along. He says, cast your net on the right side. And the disciples said, "What do we got to lose?" And they did it. And it says their nets were full. back in Luke 5, their nets were breaking so much. but now, post-resurrection, where there's anointing and power available to them, their nets don't break. they have a harvest, they have fruitfulness. But there was something about it. it it's kind of like uh, Mary at the grave of Jesus, she comes and she talks to a person she thinks is the gardener, but the second He says her name, Mary. She realizes it's Jesus. Or remember the two on the road to Emmaus? They're just walking along with him. They don't know who he is. They're just telling their woes. The man we thought was our Messiah who's going to save us is dead, buried. And he tells them a little bit from the Scripture that could have encouraged them, but I don't know how much it did. It doesn't say. But they invite him into the house, and when he broke bread, they suddenly realized it was Jesus. Well, in the same way, there was something about this that reminded Peter, and suddenly it dawned on him. This is Jesus. And our text says something interesting that no other text says. You need to hear this. This is great. I'd never seen it before this week. Our text says, Peter, seeing it was the Lord, Jumped out of the boat to swim to him. But before he does that, our particular version says this. Put on his outer garment, for he had removed it. I I rarely do this, but can I tell you, that's a horrible translation. I'm sorry, it is. The Greek is clear. The Greek says clearly, and it uses an unquestioned, unequivocal term. The scripture says he was naked, so he put on his clothes was naked. I don't know if that was the tradition in their day, that when you fished, you're going to get wet anyway, so you just took off your clothes and fished. I don't know. But Peter was naked! But the thing I loved about this, I'd never seen this before. Never heard anybody talk on it that I can remember anyways. My father-in-law would have gotten it, I'm sure, but the thing that struck me was that there was a time years before that when somebody else was naked. Back in the garden, and they hid from God. Peter was naked, and he swam to God. I love that. That even when we're not appropriately attired, we're still going to go after God. When we don't have it all together, when things have happened that have left us feeling disqualified, the place for us to be is not hiding out on the boat. The place to be is running to Jesus. Run to Jesus. What I want you to catch is this, this first point, is Jesus was never withholding his presence from Peter. Peter, out of a sense of guilt and shame, even perhaps a sense of fear, was hiding, was hanging out, doing what he used to do. Go back to my old job. I thought I'd try ministry. And by the way, I've been there. After our first church, it was the hardest thing we had ever done in our life, and There came a point in time in which we were done at that church, and honestly, if it hadn't been for a couple of things, I would have just said, I'm done. I'm going back to plumbing and electrical. I can do that. I know how to do that. I know how to do that kind of stuff. I don't know how to do ministry, apparently. And Peter felt the same way, and he was hiding out. But it was Jesus who initiated this whole encounter and invited Peter and the other disciples to a B.Y.O. breakfast. He says, Bring your fish with you. Come on in. Let's have some breakfast together. And the truth is he does it for Peter, but he also does it for us. I want you to hear the invitation today. Jesus is inviting you to a breakfast. The best breakfast you've ever had, it's a breakfast of his presence. He's saying, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. You people who are struggling in life, who don't have it all together, who feel like you have done some dumb things that have disqualified you, come to me when you're heavy laden and guilty and ashamed, and I will give you rest. He says, stop being stuck in the ditch of your guilt and your shame. The whole time Peter's hiding out on the boat, so I'm going back, I, I, I don't have what it takes, Jesus is saying, come on to breakfast, Peter, you're included, you're wanted. Don't just sit there, let's enjoy this morning together. Early this year in January, I had some time in which I was just waiting on the Lord, and uh, probably one of the most significant encounters I've had with God in a while. In the midst of that encounter, uh, we were having somewhat of a conversation. And by the way, when I say somewhat of a conversation, don't think that I'm more spiritual than I am because I'm not. Um, It was really me talking to God and thinking in my heart, believing I was hearing him say something. So it wasn't like verbal or anything like that. But in the midst of it all, we're sitting there actually in two rocking chairs, rocking together, and he said to me, do you want to go for a walk? And so we walk down to a pier, and all this is envisioned in my mind. We walk down to a pier, and we're standing looking out at the serene lake that is just like a mirror, just out there, birds flying overhand. Sun was just perfect in the sky, not too hot, but just perfect. Everything was perfect. And suddenly Jesus turned to me, and he said, this is the best part of my day. And I feel like that's what Jesus was saying to Peter. Come and have breakfast with me. You will make my day. I love being with you. There's nothing that you have ever done that could make me not want to be with you. One of the biggest obstacles to forgiveness, I believe, can be our tendency to wallow in our past failures. So that we don't forgive ourselves. And I used to hate that term, forgive ourselves. Well, at heart, when I talk about not forgiving yourself, what I really mean is not able to embrace the forgiveness that God really gives you. Because if you ever caught a whiff of that, if you ever got a taste of that, there would be no question about you forgiving yourself anymore. Because if the God of the universe, who you yourself have done wrong, forgives you, you'll have no more problem with forgiveness. But our tendency is to stay in the past, like Larry Sorensen, ever repenting, but never coming to the freedom of forgiveness. Instead, we enter into what is called penance. You know what penance is, right? Penance is where you pay for your own sin. Except for, how do you pay for your sin? You try to do good, right? You know, you blow it with your wife, what do you do? You try to make it up to her. Well, with God, we try to do good. Okay, well, then I, I, will, I did wrong, so I'm going to come to church and I'm going to stand during the whole worship service and I'm even going to lift my hands. I'll show God I'm really serious, I'm really sorry, I'm going to do good. I'm actually going to give my tithe this week. That's one way, but do you know the way a lot of us do it? We beat ourselves up every day. It's like we take a whip and we whip ourselves again and again to let Jesus know how badly we feel about it. And that's kind of what Peter was doing. It's a decision to feel miserable about yourself every day. But you know the problem with feeling miserable about yourself? You don't keep it just to yourself. It kind of overflows onto other people. Because if you're miserable, you help make other people feel miserable. And that's exactly what was going on. Peter could have stayed on the boat, but he didn't. He jumped in the water and he swam to Jesus. Please hear me. Forgiveness and grace and mercy was never your idea. Those ideas are way better than you. Those ideas come from God himself. And he offers them to us. He offers it to you today if you would come to breakfast with him. Jesus put it this way. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is worthy of the kingdom. That's the past. Leave it in the past. So number one, Jesus took the initiative. Number two, it's about way more than breakfast. It's about more than forgiveness. Number two. After breakfast, Jesus singled Peter out, and he asked him a question. Simon, son of Jonah. Now hear this question. Hear this question. Simon, son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? Who are the these? Okay, disciples? Anybody else? I'm sorry, what? Fish? Anyone else? Here's my take on it. You don't have to agree with me. I don't say this is the word of the Lord, but this is what I came to this week, actually. All of my life I had believed it was the disciples. Do you believe, do you believe honestly, that Jesus is setting up a comparison, a competition between our love for Him? Does that sound like the heart of God? That He wants you to compare whether you love God more than they love God? I just had to come to the point. I read that again and again and again. It just doesn't make sense that Jesus would do that. That doesn't sound like anything he's ever done in the past or what he has declared in his word, that we are to be in a competition with each other about our devotion to God. I finally came to the conclusion, as Myrna did, I think he's talking about the fish and the boats, you know, going back to that. Do you love me more than you love what you used to do that you are so familiar with? or? My second point is this, under the same thing. Do you love me more than wallowing in your self-pity? Do you love me more than staying stuck in your past where you can just constantly regurgitate all your failings? Because the truth is, when you go over the stuff that you've done wrong in life, there's a little bit in you that feels almost pious about it. I'm being honest with my failings. I'm being real. He says, do you love me? even more than that. <coughs> Peter answers, "Yes, Lord, you know that I love you." Jesus presses him again and asks the question again. And then he asks him the third time. And I won't take time to go into it, but the first two times that Jesus asks Peter, "Do you love me?" Jesus uses the word agape, which is God's love. Peter responds with, "Yes, I philao you," which is Brotherly love. Interestingly, Jesus' third question is, Peter, do you follow me. It's almost like Jesus was saying, Peter, I'll meet you where you're at and take you from there. It's okay. If that's the best you can do right now, I'll take that and we will go on from there. And I'm going to help you get to the agape. But we don't have time to that. Three times, Jesus then gives him instructions. First he says, by the way, I, I'm amazed at how many people think Jesus gave them the same answer. And he didn't. There are three different answers. Verse 15, he says, feed my lambs. Verse 16, tend my sheep. And then verse 17, feed my sheep. Now, this point is where we all come to the awareness that it's about more than just forgiveness because God has something for all of us to do. God has a mission for your life. You know that? God has a destiny for you that he wants you to fulfill. And until you embrace full forgiveness, you will never live out your destiny. You get stuck back pre-destiny. He wants you to walk it out today. Your ability to accept Jesus' breakfast invitation, I don't know why I keep talking about food other than that I'm hungry. (laughs) Your, I just, your willingness to embrace Jesus' invitation is about more than you. Hear me. There are people who need what God has put in you. And while you have made all the focus about you, you're not helping them a bit. It's about more than you. It's about being able to know there's a world around you that needs what God has put in you. You might not be all that mature yet, Maybe you're even a relatively new Christian. Maybe you feel like you don't even know the Bible. But you have something they don't have. You have the spirit of the living God inside of you. And you are called to be transmitters of that spirit. Sometimes we're called in life to suck it up. When Jennifer was born, I mean, literally, Karen's going in the hospital to give birth to Jennifer. I had pneumonia. Do you think I stayed home during that time? and said, you go to the hospital. I'm not feeling good, honey. uh, My chest feels kind of heavy. I'm achy. And my head, oh, it's bad. And I don't think I could get out of bed. I'm sorry, honey. You go have the baby. And when you're all done, bring her home. And if I'm better, then I'll look. Do you really think I did that? Fast forward 19 years. 19? 20? 18. 18 years. Okay. Fast forward 18 years. Jennifer, on her way from church here, we had lunch afterwards, but then she's on her way back to Elam, is in a horrific car accident on April 18th. And, no? No? I just like my facts to be right. She had this accident in which her life was actually in jeopardy. They were at a point, because of the drop in blood pressure, of cutting her legs off to get her out of the car. Uh, it, was, it was a horrific situation. We get to the hospital. She's in ICU. She's intubated. It's just it's bad. I had pneumonia again. And I was not feeling great, but I can tell you this. There was nothing in this world that would have kept me from being there. We got there. I mean, we broke every speed limit you could. I don't care. I said, if the police are going to give me a ticket, they're going to have to catch me on the way to the hospital. There are times in life when though we feel sick, even sick inside because of our life, there's times when we just need to suck it up and say there's more at stake. Jesus, I need to more and more fully receive what you have for me, and I need to keep going. That doesn't mean we treat it lightly, because there's too heavy a price paid for our sins. But it does mean we say, Jesus, your word says it. I'm going to receive it the best I can. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to just curl up in a little fetal position and hide. I'm going to keep going. While I'm processing what it means to be more and more, Fully forgiven. I read recently, and I don't know if it was Karen sent it to me or who um, somebody sent to me, or I read that the reason why our windshield is bigger than our rearview mirror is because we're not going that way. That's the past. We're moving forward. We're moving forward. Don't stay in the past of your failings, of your sin of your own insecurity. Do you know, as I look around this room, there are people here who are amazing people in God, people who I respect immensely, but there's not one person in this room who doesn't have some insecurities. Do you know that? I'm serious. Do you know that? So you look at them and you think, Tom Weber? Tom's about as stable and secure. I mean, you at, Tom knows everything. But I guarantee you this, I've lived long enough. I'm not as old as some people, like Andy Maurer. <laughs> I love this. I have learned this. Tom has insecurities. Tom has a past that could hold him back. I don't even have to know what he I know he does because we all do. But if you let your past define you, you will never come into any sense of peace or joy in your present, let alone any hope for your future. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying sometimes you have to suck it up and say, I'm going on. Jesus is telling Peter and he's telling us, I've got a work for you to do. It's time to feed my lambs, to tend my sheep, to feed my sheep. And you need to get the focus off of yourself and onto others as well. Now, let God deal with your heart. I'm not in any way saying it's not real. Let God deal with your heart. Let forgiveness become like something that becomes like a wave over you. But as that process happens, keep walking forward. Keep your feet moving forward. There are many, many times when I'm out walking, and part of my philosophy is this. If I get out far enough, I have to still come home. So I keep walking as far as I can because I know once I get there, I'm not going to call Karen and ask her to come and pick me up. So i got to walk home. And there are times when I'm walking home when I'm just, my feet, you can tell you're tired when your feet start scuffing the sidewalks. I'm tired, but you got to keep going. And that's kind of what it is in this walk. You are not on the love boat. You're on a battleship. Keep going. Number three, finally, press the reject button. For Peter, this breakfast became the turning point of his life. It was time to stop and push the reject button on the demonization of shame and guilt and fear. Now, I say that because it's time for us to start realizing we have an enemy and he's very real. He doesn't need, hear me, hear me, he doesn't need a new partner. His title is accuser of the brethren. He doesn't need your help to accuse you. He can do it fine himself. You need to realize we're in a battle. And when thoughts of fear and guilt and shame and discouragement and depression come, and they will come, you're in a battle. They might be related to things you have done, but those things which you have confessed and repented of, God says he has forgiven. Why do you think they keep popping into your mind? Because the enemy loves to piggyback on your flesh and whisper in your ear. You're, you're really not forgiven. You, you really are not good enough for God. You didn't get your life together. In fact, for some of us, some of our most grievous sins happened after we became Christians. And that's doubly, hard. you know, if it's before you were a Christian, you could always say, well, yeah, that was pre-Christ. Now I know Christ. I'm much better. But for some of us, I I love what my father-in-law used to say. He said, I've sinned far more after I became a Christian than before I was a Christian. Of course, I became a Christian at five years old. (laughs) He was being honest. (coughs) Here are these verses. This is the Bible. He remembers your sins no more. That's what God says. It doesn't say He forgets, by the way. God can't forget anything. He's God. He's perfect. He chooses not to remember your sins. He remembers your sins no more. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. For those of you who want those, that's Jeremiah 31-34 and Psalm 103-12. It would do us well I mean, most of us, if you're like me, over the years I've gotten some really nasty letters from people in the church telling me, you know, things like you have the spirit of the Antichrist, you know, good things like that. And for years, I kept all of those letters. I didn't keep any good cards that people gave me. I would look at them and I'd say, yeah, well, they're just being nice, and I would throw them away. But I kept the negatives. And every year, once or twice, sometimes three, four times a year, depends on how I felt that year, I would reread them just to remind myself about how bad I really am. I'm suggesting to you that you do the same thing that I had to do. You throw that kind of stuff out. Throw it out. It doesn't do you any good. It doesn't do the work of God any good. And it doesn't do the people around you any good. It's not the purpose of God to constantly regurgitate all of your failings. It's like you come to God and you repent again and again and again. There's going to come a point when God's saying, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember. I've already forgiven. And yet we keep bringing it up again and again. Romans 8 says, there is therefore. Right? There is therefore. When you see the word therefore, what are you supposed to ask? What's it there for? There is therefore now no condemnation. Why do we say therefore? It's because of what came before. What came before was Paul talking about this struggle within the flesh. That which I want to do, I don't do. That which I don't want to do, I end up doing. Woe is me. Who is going to rescue me? Thank God it's Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And he says, therefore. Therefore. Because Jesus is your Redeemer, there is therefore now No condemnation to those who are in Christ who walk not after the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, I used to read that and think that's the little catch. My problem is I'm not in the Spirit. If I were in the Spirit, things would be better. No, I think what the scripture is saying is condemnation and condemning thoughts themselves are a work of the flesh. Stop living in that flesh and start allowing the Spirit of God and the truth of the Spirit of God to be preeminent in our lives. What that would mean for me personally is start listening. Start reading things that God has promised over your life. You've done enough wrong in life. Let's not go back and revisit it. Let's move forward and believe God that the promises He has spoken over our lives, He will bring to pass. And by the way, I'm not just talking about some kind of nebulous promises where you feel like God might have said something in prayer. Those are all good. I'm not in any way minimizing those. I'm talking about grab some promises from the Word of God. Let, when you read through the Bible each year, which I hope you do, when you read through the Bible each year, maybe this year, you know, coming up into 2018, make, a, make an assignment for yourself. I'm going to read, and I'm going to read with this mindset. I'm going to ask God to show me in his Word how he feels about me. Now, he might do it by direct statements like, this is what the Lord says or thinks about you. Or he might do it by how he actually treats other people. And you can apply it to yourself. If God did that, he's no respecter of persons. He will do it for me. The Bible is clear that the grace of God sets us free from the law of sin and death. And I can't imagine anything more deathly than living in the shame and guilt of past sins and failings which have already been forgiven by God it's time for us to hit the reject button replaying that past junk over and over again isn't going to help you in any way every time you catch yourself starting to do it stop i mean literally you know like you know how like they got the commercial with the easy button for staples is it yeah okay now I wish I'd done it. I should have gone ahead and had somebody make up a bunch of stop buttons. Reject. Hit it. Hit it in your mind. Stop it. Say, enemy, you have no place in my mind. I am a child of God. I find myself singing that verse over and over and over when I'm walking. I am a child of God. You have no more place in my mind. The enemy comes along and he says, well, maybe God wants you to go over it again because he would like to teach you a fresh lesson. Okay, maybe that's not you. Maybe that's just me. Um, I've had to say to the enemy if God wants to teach me a lesson, He's not going to do it by reminding me with condemnation and shame. That's not God's Spirit. The Spirit of God takes us forward, not backwards. He is a journey for us. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, you're forgiven, you're accepted, you're restored. And you're recommissioned. And he says the same thing to us. Don't spend your time repenting over and over again for things that God has already forgiven. Move on. Don't beat yourself up over your past. If there are things that you have done wrong, maybe you need to make restitution. Maybe you need to apologize to somebody. Maybe you need to just plain move on. Because some of the stuff that you've done are with people who aren't even around anymore. But you can move on. You can say, Father, I presented it to you. I've asked forgiveness. You've forgiven me. Now I want to walk out this great adventure with you. Now, the way I want to end is this. L- let me ask you, ju- I don't usually do this, but for, for how many here would this message be applicable for your life? Can I just see your hands for a second? Anybody? Okay. All right, I knew it wouldn't be everybody but for some. I want to end today for you specifically, and then I'll just pray when I'm done. Uh, A song that I really enjoy. uh, Do we have that ready, Nicole? We're going to play this song. I want you just to listen to the words as she sings them. Thank you. I don't know if you could catch the words. It says, You were reaching through the storm, walking on the water, even when I could not see in the middle of it all, when I thought you were a thousand miles away, not for a moment did you forsake me. Would you stand with me? <coughs> Allow me to pray for you, and if this is... Again, a message that is applicable to you and encourage you to just turn your heart toward the Lord, even as I pray for you. Father, I thank you for time that we have had together as a family. Lord, I recognize that uh, it's easy sometimes for me to attribute my own issues to different ones in this room, to believe that what is true of me is true of all. But the reality is you reach every single one of us uniquely and individually right where we're at. And I thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that is able to take that which is within us, not only to redeem us, to save us, to let forgiveness flow, but to use us for your kingdom's sake. Lord, where some have, because of past experiences or because of their own personality type, find a tendency to wallow in the past or in their inabilities, their failings, their sins, their insecurities. I'm asking you, God, to help us to move forward with a sense of your presence that you are always with us. You loved us knowing everything about us and yet you still chose us. Lord, let that become a dawning, literally a dawning in our hearts. Let it come like a revival wave that we are loved by an everlasting God. We are forgiven. We are chosen. And you want to use us. You have purpose for our lives. And Lord, let us walk that out. Even today, let us walk that out wherever you take our steps, that we would be your servants, your emissaries, your ambassadors. Lord, let the truth of your forgiveness become a reality for us, and let the past remain the past, knowing that you have given us a hope and a future. I pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day.